You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so this week, Bezros Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of shirim on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And this shir is going to be titled The Tree of Doubt, which is a translation of the term that's utilized only by the writers and the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin to refer to the Eitzadas Tovara as Ilana Desveka, as the Tree of Doubt. And the subtitle of this year is going to be Living with Confusion. Now, before we get started, I'd like to dedicate this year and any insight or bureau that emerges out of this year for myself and for anybody else to the neshama, to the zecher of the neshama of my maternal grandfather, Rav Naftali Horowitz, Naftali ben Yoshua, whose yard site is tonight, as well as the neshama of Rabbeinu Yitzchak Luria, the Arizal Shusegamalenu, whose yard site begins tonight in Eretz Yisrael, in the year of Tzvah, Sakadosh, there's celebrations and gatherings around the kever of the Arizal and davening. And for the sake of the Arizal's yard site, we're going to end this year, not with the Chiddush, but with a framing of the sugya of doubt or suffolk in the teachings of Ishbitz and Razin through the lens of Rav Chaim Vital as the main disciple and shofar or voice of the Arizal himself. <clears throat> now, in order to create the continuity necessary for these series of shirim to move from one to the next and not just to be 10 disparate shirim on a particular series of thought, we're going to look back to last week in order to contextualize and frame what we're going to be discussing tonight, Bezra Sashem. Now, last week we discussed how the theme that emerges out of the world of Ishbitz and Radzin, based on the rabbinic statement of Muta of that it would have been easier for an individual to have not been born than to have been born. And the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin point out that the statement of Chazal does not say that it would have been better not to be born chas v'shalom, but rather it states that it simply would have been easier or simpler or more pleasurable not to have been born. And the entire idea of that shir was that the baseline or the foundation or the starting point from which the world of Ishbitz and Radzin begins to develop their perception of what it means to be an Eved Hashem. And like we said in the introductory shir, this has everything to do with starting off from the bottom, that the Hasidus of Ishbitz and Radzin is a Hasidus of Orchoser, of an attempt to return back to the primordial origin of light once we've already fallen, as opposed to other approaches in Avodah Hashem, which start off from the top and then try and figure out how to handle what happens at the bottom. That's where Musar comes in and that's where questions of tshuva come in, how a person can fall from a lofty place to a low place. The tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin were speaking from that low place. They were speaking from that nukuda of Malchus, the Leis Lamagar Meklum, who has nothing of her own, who abides within her own destitution, 
which is that feminine capacity of receptivity, which is devoid of any content of its own, which we're going to discuss at the end of this year. So the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin showed us that in spite of the fact that the world is on all accounts an incredibly difficult place to live in, as all of us in each of our own particular hearts is abundantly aware, especially in this time period. A person must hold on to, in the depths and the reservoirs of their feeling heart, and their heart of flesh, the fact that in spite of all of the difficulties, in spite of the fact that, yes, it would have been easier not to be born, nevertheless, there is good that will emerge out of our experience here. There is an added level of Kedusha, a Tosefes Kishat, an additional adornment to holiness that could not have come about any other way except through the darkness of this world. And the Sod Yisharim Slusayagin in the name of his father, the Beis Yaakov, in the name of his father, the Meshiloach, have statements scattered throughout their writings which talk about the purpose of coming down into this world is to reveal chedushe or novelties of light, or devei Torah chadashim, or new ideas in Torah, something we're going to discuss in a later shir. But the idea is as follows, that the purpose of coming down into this world is not simply to function and survive through the discomfort, but coming down into this world with all of its discomfort is so clear to the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin that it's for a greater purpose, which is going to be the disclosure or the revelation or the ability to grasp a deeper level of Kedusha and holiness that would have been hitherto inaccessible to the individual had they remained in a state of light and purity and goodness. It's specifically down here in the Noyach La'adam Shalom Nivra, in this playing field wherein it would have been easier for the individual not to have been born, that we have the ability of revealing the Tov HaGanuz, this hidden good. The Tzaddikim of Ishbetz and Radzim have a Mesorah, and it starts with the Meshiloach. We actually discussed this in the ninth shir in the Sefer of Reish Milin by Oztes, that any Pasuk, any ninth Pasuk, or any Pasuk really that starts with the Oztes is going to have a hidden concealed meaning in it. Because Oztes, Tuvo Ganiz Begave, the Zohar says, that when a person looks at the Oztes, which is representative of Yesod, or those things which remain hidden, a person has to always penetrate deeply into the content in order to disclose that there's a hidden good within it. And so too with the light of this world, to disclose the mutav lo adam shenivra, that it's good enough that a person is created in spite of how difficult it is, a person has to be willing to penetrate through the veils of darkness and the mechitzos and the masachim that abide in day-to-day experience, which force a person to almost give up hope. What a person is doing is a person is coming to terms with recognizing that there is a goodness hidden within this world as well. Now, the question of where this goodness emerges is going to be the introduction to this year. The goodness emerges specifically in a place where volitional choice is possible for the individual. Now here we're actually going to rub against a commonly held or mistakenly held concept of what Ishbitz and Radzin is, in the sense that people like to assume that Ishbitz and Radzin are a system of thought that speaks away Bechira, or that speaks away the ability for a human being to choose which direction to turn in this world. And in fact, the truth of the matter is that very few schools of thought go to such a far length to create the fundamental of Bechira as the playing field of being alive. That the entire purpose of coming down into this world is so that a person can choose between good and evil, or light and darkness, and thereby allowing their own effort and their own struggle to become part of religious worship. 
because it's specifically in situations of confusion, when there's more than one option, when a person has two possibilities in front of them, thereby confusing them as to which is the right path to take. It's specifically there that the human being must move inwards, descend into themselves to find and discover the proper insight that it takes to determine exactly which direction we must go. And it's only when we invest within ourselves or descend into ourselves, allowing for an intensification of our own experience, that we are now referred to as the masters of our own actions. Had there only been goodness in the world, had there only been light and one direction to take, there would have been no need for a person to descend into the reservoirs of their souls in order to discern the proper tools necessary for being bocher properly. Without conf conflict, without darkness, without pain or privation, there's no need for bechira. It's specifically the duality, or really the apparent duality, or the constrictions, or the midos, or the gvulim, limitations that we confront in this world, that forces a person to find the strength to choose. And by choosing, we overcome the bread of shame, the nehemah de kisufa, that shameful bread of the individual who receives without any effort of their own part. For Ishbitz and Radzin, as we're going to see, the fundamental mode of human experience in this world is one of bechira, is one of choosing good over bad, or, God forbid, choosing bad over good, if a person so chooses. But in order for there to be a playing field of bechira, which already pre-requires a duality of sorts, two or more things in order for me to choose, that's the playing field that we need to find ourselves in. So the question of why is this world difficult? Why does this world have to be difficult for us? The answer is because a person needs to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Bechira. And this is where we're going to pick up for this week's year when it comes to the concept of doubt and the tree of doubt. Now, the fact that the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and the tzaddikim of Radzin referred to the Eitzhadas Tovara, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, this primordial moment where humankind or existence, as it is experienced in each of our own hearts, descends away from a primordial, prelapsarian purity where the desire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for us is abundantly clear. And through the transgression, through moving beyond, the lines that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has set up for human beings, or being machtia et amatara, or missing the point of the command that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us, we fall into what is referred to as the Eitz Hadas Tovirah, and the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin, really almost out of nowhere, because there's really no textual sources that I know of that describe the Eitz Hadas Tovirah as the Ilana Desveka, the Tree of Doubt, prior to the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin. In the Tikkune Zohar, in Tikkun Mem Zayin, there is a Lashon that the Eitz Hadas Tovarah is referred to as Ilana di Irbuvia, the tree of combinations. Irbuvia, which is also going to be the same etymological root as Erev, which is dusk time or nighttime, brings to mind this concept of combinations which are not meant to be combined. Sirufim acherim, strange combinations of good and bad working in unison, where it's unclear to the individual which direction to take whether to engage in a particular action and disclose the good hidden within it, or whether to withhold or refrain from engaging in that action because of the darkness potential within it. That irbuvia might give birth to this concept of suffix. When things are combined and it's no longer clear what is what, 
So the psychological mode that a person is forced to engage at that point is one of doubts and confusion. Now that could be the source of this Lashon in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, but nevertheless, I have not seen anywhere else that Sadiqim or Svarim HaKadoshim referred to as the Eitz Hadas Tovara as Ilana Desveka, a tree of doubt. And this concept of the tree of doubt, which is explicit in at least 30 places throughout the writings of the Beis Yaakov and the Sodi Sharim and the Meshiloach, in particular in the Sodi Sharim's parish on the Zohar HaKadosh, Tiferes HaChanochi, this concept of Ilana Desveka is not by happenstance, but rather it comes to serve as a defining factor in what Ishbitz and Radzin see as the sin of the Eitz That this collective moment where humanity falls away from purity into darkness is an entrance from clarity into doubt. And this Ilana Desveka, this tree of doubt, creates circumstances for us in our own lives where it is no longer clear. It is no longer barur to us. Barur is going to be the word we use for clarity. It's also going to be the same root as the word birurim or clarifications, which, as we're going to see in a few weeks, is the fundamental mode of avoda for the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin, to work out of the suffix in order to clarify that which was previously doubtful and to come upon the light of certainty out of darkness itself. But the conditions, the human condition, the exilic condition of being a human being after the sin of the Eitz is living in a state of the Ilana Desveka, living in a world where doubt reigns supreme, to the point that the Beis Yaakov describes this world in the Lashon of Olam Desafek, or Sveikos de Olam, the doubts of the world or a world of doubt, that this worldliness, existence as we know it, can take on the determining or defining factor of being a world of doubt. That's not simply some secondary or accidental symptom of the world, but rather that is the determining constitutive factor of the world. That's going to be a fundamental point that we're going to be discussing tonight. That doubt is not some secondary symptom that results out of some mistake that took place, but rather doubt is the determining factor of what it means to live in this world. So that if a person asks themselves, what is it that I am as a human being, a person can quite literally state that I doubt. And this echoes on a certain level the Cartesian notion of I doubt, therefore I am. It is by dint of the fact that my consciousness is not stuck on a certain level of clarity, but rather I fall into confusion where multiple options are open in front of me, which causes me to be bewildered, which causes me to murmur within myself, to be unclear as to how to proceed. It creates second guesses within my physical life, within my emotional life, within my spiritual life. And most importantly, it creates svekos or doubts in terms of how I try and connect to the prime supreme being of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is where these doubts are going to reign most supreme. And one of the places that the Meshulach describes this so beautifully is actually in Parshas Parashas, on the Pasuk, V'yitzmach Hashem Aleichem and Ha'adam Kol Eitz Nechman Lamare V'tov Lama'achal. And in this long Torah, the Meshulach has a Lashon as follows. The Eitz Hadas and the Tree of Knowledge, somebody who is perpetually in doubt. And this concept of being in doubt, this concept of being stuck in a playing field where the Ratzon of Hashem, where what is requested of me or what my goal in life should be is written through or cut through with a doubtful notion 
which then throws me into a darkness of the self, which reminds me that I don't know which way I'm going. I don't know with certitude what is what. I know what I believe in, but I can't state with any authenticity or certainty what it is that is true or not. That condition of living under the sign of the Eitz Hadas, Tovara, or the Ilana Desveka, says the Meshiloach, is the source of all of the difficulties and all of the questions that we confront in the Gemara. And the Gemara for the Meshiloach is going to be an example or a metaphor for what it means to live as a Jew in this world post-revelation. Once the voice of God is no longer apparent in the world like it was at the moment of revelation, but rather what it means to live in the echo of revelation, what it means to live in the world of Torah Shabbat Peh, in the world of the Gemara, where questions outweigh answers and confusion outweighs clarity and difficulty and darkness outweigh light and clarity, that's the place, that Torah Shabbat Peh mindset, that phenomenology of Gemara itself, which he learned explicitly from the Yid HaKadosh, the Yid HaKadosh, who was the grand Rebbe of the Meshiloach, the Rebbe of Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, famously tried to reintegrate Talmud study, learning Gemara as a spiritual exercise, that in confronting the difficulties of the Gemara, in confronting those questionable places, a person is not only engaging in intellectual gymnastics of pilpulim, but rather a person is confronting the questions, the she'elos and the chuvos of emuna. that when I confront a question or a kasha in the Gemara, says the Meshilalach, and he explains this explicitly in relationship to the unique friendship or chavrusa shaft of Reish Lakish and Rav Yochanan, that after Reish Lakish had died, Rav Yochanan was left seeking out difficulties, seeking out questions which he wasn't being asking. It's that mindset, that mindset of the Talmud or the Gemara, where the Sveikos lead us. It leads us into a world where darkness outweighs light and where it's no longer clear which direction we need to go. Now, for all intents and purposes, it's safe to assume that living under the cloud of the Ilana de Sveika, living under the shadow of the tree of doubt is a negative, is this temporary state prior to redemption, is a negative symptom of the hate of Adam Arishon, and that Sveikos are bad, and that the lack of clarity is a negative thing, and that if we had our druthers or we had the ability to choose how to serve God, we would logically choose to serve God out of certainty. And there are certain makoros in the writings of the Meshiloach and the Beis Yaakov and the Sod Yisharim and the Tzfaris Yosef, which imply that mahalach, which point to doubt as something negative, which point to doubt as being associated with the concept of amalek. Amalek has the same gematria, the same numerical value as the word suffix, 240, a famous idea that is echoed in these writings, which seems to call our attention to the fact that living with doubt, living without clarity, living without that ground of certainty that lets us know that everything we think and hope is absolutely and abundantly true, no matter what questions we have in our minds, is going to be seen as a temporary negative stage prior to the disclosure of certainty that comes along with redemption. And that living in doubt is simply a deferred state, which is meant to be seen as a negative life, and that only the more certainty a person has, or the more clear things become for you, the better off you are and the happier you're going to be. But what I would like to tease out of the writings of the Meshiloach and the Beis Yaakov and the Sod Yisharim tonight is in fact an alternative way of reading doubt. It's an alternative way of looking at this concept of Ilana Desveka. Instead of seeing suffix, 
instead of seeing the inability to have utter clarity in our lives, both in terms of our religious convictions, our spiritual convictions, our emotional and our physical convictions, as something that needs to be undone for the sake of redemption, I would like to show from the writings how Suffolk, in, instead of being seen as this negative thing, is seen as the primary mode through which the neshama is meant to meet HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And that when we refer to this world as the olam of Suffolk, and we refer to the condition of this world as Ilana Desveka, it's not necessarily coming to state some negative judgment about the way the world goes, but rather it's stating a simple truth statement that this world is a world of doubt. The same way that Chazal were capable of saying that it would have been easier for an individual not to be born in this world, in spite of the fact that it's still better to be born in this world, Chazal and the Meishiloach and his students and his children are coming to show us that yes, in spite of the fact that living with Suffolk is difficult, and living under the threat of the Ilana Desveka, of the tree of doubt, which throws into question any affirmations or decisions that we make for ourselves. In truth, it is this concept of suffix, it is this concept of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically through doubt itself, through that not knowing, through that confusion of what it means to be a human being in 2019, it's specifically there that we have the ability to come and serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And doubt, just like difficulty and just like effort and just like all of the things we're going to see, which are fundamental themes in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, are flipped or reversed in a way to show not only is this difficult condition of doubt not necessarily a negative, but it's also the fertile playing field through which the human being or the neshama within the human being or the thoughts of the heart of the human being are capable of fully disclosing themselves in a way that would not have been possible had certainty been the law of this worldliness. Now, the first place that I would really like to look is, is just such a remarkable makor. I didn't post it online previously because it's about four pages. And it's the place where I believe the attitude of Suffolk is most explicit in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin. So what we're looking at right now is the Sefer HaTcheles. The Sefer HaTcheles, which was printed by Meshor, contains three manuscripts, three books, that Rav Gershon Hanachleiner of Radzin wrote. Shepunei Tumunei Chol, Psil Tcheles, and Ein HaTcheles. These three texts are the Sod Yesharim's attempt to prove both halachically as well as mystically and spiritually the validity and the re relevance of engaging in the mitzvah of tcheles, something that we're going to end the series of shirim with, which we discussed in the introduction. And what we're looking at is in the Sefer Ein HaTcheles, which is the third kuntras that is contained within this Sefer, and it's going to be on the page 336 through 339, and I'm more than happy to share um, the text itself afterwards. Now, the question that the Sod Yasharm is coming to deal with here is actually a particularly technical one, because one of the tanoim, one of the claims against the mitzvah of Tcheles was that without certainty, without knowing abundantly and absolutely clear what the true nature of Tcheles is, where the true color of this blue dye that creates the mitzvah minamuvchar, the true mitzvah of tzitzis, comes from, we remain in doubt. 
And when in doubt, we don't particularly engage in that mitzvah. We don't make a bracha on that mitzvah. And that reasoning was seen by certain rabbinic figures of the time as being significant enough to deter people from wearing tcheles. By dint of the fact that there was no certainty regarding this mitzvah of tcheles, so the doubt should have outweighed, according to these thinkers, the mitzvah itself, and we would sit relying on the normal white tzitzis that we operate with. And it's this argument that the Sod Yisharim is coming to pick up against. And the Sod Yisharim quotes, actually, from the Torah's Chayhanim, in Dibur Dechova, in a section in Torah's Chayhanim discussing punishments of an individual for actions that they've gone through, he writes as follows. This is the Lashon of the Mishnah, of the Brisa. V'lo yada v'asham v'nasa ono. The Pasuk states that a person did not know that they had sinned, and they carry their burden, they carry the burden of punishment. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says, Somebody who has eaten chelev, somebody who has eaten something that is not permissible for them, brings a chatas pesela, brings a chatas offering. Safik achal, safik lo achal. If a person is in doubt as to whether they ate or did not eat, mevi asham talui b'shteislaim. They bring the korban of asham talui that is worth shteislaim. And the question that the Sodi Sharm points out here, based on his variant reading of this brisa in the Medrash, is that we find that somebody who has sinned with full knowledge that they have sinned, their korban, their redemption, their activity to redeem themselves is of less severity than somebody who is doubtful as whether they sinned or not. That if I sinned with full knowledge, I bring a korban, I bring a sacrificial offering that is worth a sela, a monetary value of one unit. If I'm doubtful as to whether I sinned or not, the sacrificial offering that I need to bring in order to redeem myself is going to be of two slaim. It's going to be two monetary units. And what comes out of this is the fact that for a sin or a transgression that was performed with full knowledge, the punishment is going to be less than a sin or a transgression that was performed in doubt. And here, the Sod Yasharim picks up on a thread that's already explicit in the writings of his father, that if we want to truly understand the neshama, if we want to truly understand how we function in this world, it's not only in our conscious actions where we need to try and find what our true ratzon is, but it's more particularly in our unconscious. It is specifically in those embodied traits, those habituated states where our mind or the light of our mind is no longer in control that discloses a deeper essence of who we are than something that we may have done even under our own volition or our choice. That there are certain mistakes, shagios miyavin, that the Pasuk Davar HaMelech says that who can understand these mistakes? Who can understand what it means when a person makes a mistake? The Sod Yisharim is pointing out that it's specifically in the place of unconsciousness. It's specifically when we sin without knowing whether we sin or not, that we're forced to make a deeper penetration into our lives to try and confirm or affirm what it is that rests at the core of ourselves. And that if a person sins with full knowledge, so that's a symptom, that's a problem that can be dealt with, a band-aid could be put on it. And therefore their korban or their sacrificial offering is going to be a little bit less. But a person who sins unintentionally and is stuck in a doubtful state as to whether they have sinned, 
that is more disclosive of the spirit. That is more representative of the recesses of what I am as an individual, what happens in my unconscious life, what happens in the parapraxis of my everyday life, as Freud would point out. That says more about who I am than my deliberate actions. And the Sodi Sharm continues and he says that if this is true in the negative, if when we sin with certainty, accidentally but with certainty, it's not as big a deal as sinning accidentally in doubt, then so too with regards to positive commandments, so too with regards to engaging in mitzvahs ase, if we engage in positive commandments with certainty, we're going to be rewarded, all the more so if we engage in positive actions and positive commandments through doubt itself, how powerful is our lot going to be? Because the Sodi Sharm says, when a person is capable of serving God through doubt itself, through that doubtful nature as to whether this is actually a mitzvah or not, because he was dealing with the concept of tcheles, the Sodi Sharm says what it discloses is a deeper level of fervor and spiritual connection from the depths of my being that points to the fact that even in my doubt, even in that existential position of living in a world where truth is concealed and where I no longer know what is up and what is down and I can't say for certain anything, I am still willing to enter into that space of doubt and serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This spiritual movement of serving God through doubt for the Sod Yisharim is a much loftier model of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu than serving God through certainty. And the Sod Yisharim continues and he says as follows, Remarkable Lashonos over here. He says, The Imkain Pshita, it's obvious, when there's a fundamental need for a person to engage in spiritual activity, but the only way that he's able to accomplish it is by way of doubt, a person is commanded to accomplish it even though there's going to be doubt associated with what he's doing. And he continues, and it's almost a psychological explanation of this. Because what difference does it make to an individual who wants to serve God as to whether he's certain or he's in doubt? A person who's only willing to serve God or recognize Kedusha in this world by way of certainty means that I'm only willing to do those things when I'm certain as to what my reward is going to be when I'm certain that I am correct in what I'm doing, when I'm certain that my belief systems or the things that I care so deeply about are absolutely certain and that I can rest on that certainty without any question or any doubts, which throw me into anxiety. For a person who is willing to serve God, for the soul that is truly willing to descend into this world that is so difficult, serving God or finding spirituality in the place of doubt is even more potent than certainty. Because when I serve God by way of doubt, what I am doing is I am embracing the doubt in this world, and I am saying that I don't care so much about what the reception is going to be or what the reward is going to be or what the outcome is going to be. What I'm more interested in is the mere activity itself. I don't care whether I get olam haba from this or not. When I am willing to enter into that realm of suffolk, when I am willing to enter into that space of effort, of not knowing which way is up and which way is down. And instead of recoiling out of anxiety and saying that, forget this, I'm going to enjoy the pleasures of this world and what this world has to offer and I'm going to be miyayish myself, 
I push through and I persevere and I enter into those spaces of doubt, into those makomos of suffolk, and I say, I'm going to serve you here as well. Not only in spite of my lack of clarity, but precisely because of my lack of clarity. Because when the neshama decides to serve God, particularly in the place of suffolk, what we're showing is a giving over of ourselves, a self-sacrifice, a willingness to forego the rewards or the conceptions of fairness and judgment that we feel in our human minds, and we're willing to throw ourselves into the void, into that halal ha'panui of what it means to be in Ever Hashem, to abandon ourselves to the world of doubt, to say, yes, I have no idea whether this is true or not. It doesn't matter to me whether this is true or not. I'm still willing to do it. And the Sodhi Sharm continues and he says, A person has only been created to fulfill the will of their creator. When a person engages in an act of certainty, when a person engages in something that is absolutely and abundantly clear to them, so obviously they're going to get schar for that. When a person engages in a doubtful activity, their schar is going to be doubled. Because not only have they been willing to engage the Ratzon Hashem, but they've been willing to forego their own personal desires. When we're willing to enter into that playing field of doubt, we're saying to God, we're saying to ourselves, we're saying to the convictions that we all have, that it doesn't matter whether I am right or wrong. The conditions that I choose to live my life by, the attitudes and the narratives that I choose to abide by in this world, are not dependent on the truth value or the certainty within them, but rather they are dependent on the personal choice. In the place of certainty, there's no room for Bechira. It's only in the place of doubt where I am forced to choose. And the Saudi Sharm has this incredible proof to this. He says that one of the ideas that we know is that a Maisa Mitzvah, or a positive action that a person engages in, is going to create some sort of celestial force, a malach, an angel, a psychological boost that emerges out of our action that's going to inspire us. And this is explicit in the writings of the Zohar and the Arizal. But the Sodi Sharm asks the question, he says, when it comes to Sveika Diyoma, when it comes to the doubts as to days of Yantif, there are certain mitzvahs that we perform, there are certain positive actions that a person engages in that are doubtful. And he says, yet nevertheless, in the Zohar, and it's explicit in the Sefer Einat Cheles, the Zohar states that from these mitzvahs as well, celestial forces, psychological boosts, moments of inspiration emerge out of our actions and our activity. So he says, what happens with these doubtful actions? The Zohar itself says that there are certain malachim, there are certain celestial forces, engagements that emerge. And the Sodi Sharm says, Meheichan ba'a elu hamalachim hasafkanim. Where do these doubtful angels come from? A beautiful language, malachim hasafkanim, these celestial forces, this holiness of doubt. Where does it come from? And he says again, and proves and iterates once again for us that serving God through doubt is not only not a negative, but in truth, it contains a deeper potency than serving God through certainty. And the proof text for this is going to be from the Gemara and Chulin on Daf Zayin Amr Aleph. That on Daf Zayin Amr Aleph in Mesechas Chulin, and this is explicit in other writings of the Sodi Sharm as well, what we find is that there's an encounter between a Tana who's going to be Makayim the Mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim. 
There's a Tana who's going to redeem somebody who's found themselves stuck, found themselves lost. And he encounters a river whose waters prevent him from crossing over. And he says to this river, stop, stop your water so that I can pass by. Or else, stop your waters, or I decree upon you that I will make an announcement that waters will never run through you again, that you'll be dry and empty. And at the end of the day, the river answers to him, he says, why should I stop for you? You're going to serve your God, and it's a suffix whether you're going to accomplish what you want to accomplish or whether you're not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Me, the river whose water is flowing through me, is the kiyom of the Ratzon Hashem, is the full expression of God's desire in this world. It's certain that I'm going to continue to accomplish the Ratzon of Hashem. And again, this Tana responds and he says, Ta'avor me'mecha, let your waters pass before me so that I can cross over, because if not, I'm going to decree upon you that you should never have water. And the Gemara continues, the Agaratha continues, that the Nahar, this river, agreed with this rabbi, agreed with this Tana, and allowed him to cross over to be Mekayim in the midst of Pidgin Shvuyim. The Soed Yisharim and the Beis Yaakov, in the name of their father and grandfather, the Meishiloach, ask a simple question. They say, what's happening here? The Svara, the, the logic or the philosophical reasoning of the river was true. There's a difference here. It's not clear whether this Tana was going to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish or not. It was stuck in doubt. There were circumstances of being in this world that could have prevented it or that could have brought it about. But the natural order of things, the fact that the river is flowing naturally, that's a certainty. So why should the doubt of this individual overcome the certainty of nature? And the way that the Meshiloach and the Sod Yisharim expressed this is that what we are showing here is that how could it be that the river didn't know that my doubt that my living in doubt, my ability to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu through doubt is greater than the certainty of the rest of the world. Malachim and nature and things that abide in a world of clarity of godliness there's not such a chiddush, there's no novelty of serving God in those places. Because when the light of God is abundantly clear, when the right path of action is abundantly clear in our lives, so then there's no volitional action that needs to be born. There's no intensification and descent into the self that demands that power, that energy that allows me to choose properly. Because it's clear and apparent what I need to do. But when I'm in Suffolk, when I'm in doubt, when I truly allow myself to sit with that question of what if what I think is not true? What if what I believe in is not real? What if the things that I've been trained to be certain about are in truth doubtful? What happens then? And what the Saudi Sharm says is that shali, my doubt, my abiding within a world of confusion under the threat of the Ilana Desveka, which is the primary condition of this worldliness, where multiple options abide in front of us at any moment. And there's no ability for an individual to say with utter certainty anything at all in this world, what they believe in or what they are or what they feel. It's specifically in that place of doubt that we have the ability of showing that it's of a loftier level of vadai. That doubtful service of God is of a loftier level than certainty. Because it's specifically in this arena, in the arena of being stuck in doubt, that we have the ability to confront the deeper parts of ourselves, the difficult parts of ourselves, 
those parts of ourselves that want to say, I don't know anymore. I don't know with utter certainty whether my prayers mean anything. I don't know with utter certainty how history will end properly. I don't know with utter certainty that the difficulty, the noyach adam nivra, the difficulty of what it means to be a Jew in this world, the difficulty of what it means to live in a world that can be so dark and painful at times. I don't know if it's worth it. Comes along the Sod Yisharim and the Meishiloach and the Beis Yaakov and they say it's specifically Hasafik Shalach, Yoter Gavoa Me'avadei Shalachem. That your confusion is of truth a loftier spiritual level than the certainty of other individuals. Now, <clears throat> this is a theme that is abundantly clear in the writings of the Meishiloach. Because as we're going to see throughout the weeks, the Meishiloach describes a binary, a two-tiered process of serving Hashem. And this is, again, something that has been popularized and almost fetishized in the readings of the Ishbitzer and the Redziner, in that there are two modes of Avodah Hashem. There's the mode of Yehuda, of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Yehuda, and the tribe of Yosef. And for the sake of expressing this theme very quickly because it's not the full topic of our shir, the tribe of Yehuda is the tribe that serves, I'm sorry, the tribe of Yosef, rather, is the tribe and the attitude or the particular psychological moment where a person serves God through certainty, where we follow the strict letter of the law, where we follow what is abundantly clear in front of us without any deviation to the left or the right. Anything that is not written explicitly, anything that is not stated explicitly is going to be secondary and insignificant. All that matters is the strict line of the law in all of its manifestations, both emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, philosophically. And the world of Yehuda is the world that is willing to enter into confusion, that is willing to enter into svekos, that is willing to enter into places where the light of God does not shine. And it's unclear as to how HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to operate. And it's only through the willingness to forego our Olam Haba, to forego our desires for reward, to forego our all-too-human natural proclivity towards certainty, that a human being is willing to throw themselves into the places of Suffolk for the purpose of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, although I haven't seen it written inside, I don't believe that the Meishiloach and the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin are talking about two different individuals as to whether a person serves God through the model of Yosef, through that stricture of the law, through that tightness and compression of certainty, or the model of Yehuda, which is the openness to doubt, the openness to living in a world of confusion and trying to find God in murky places, trying to find the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the areas in our souls which appear to be outside the realm of holiness, our anxieties and our doubts and our feelings of brokenness and our low self-esteem and all of the different things that a neshama like Yehuda struggles with. The neshama of Yehuda, which is capable of saying, Tzadkamimeni, she's correct, I am wrong. Chatasi, I have done wrong. I am imperfect, I am broken. The neshama of the Balchuva versus the neshama of the Tzadik. The neshama of Beishamai as Yosef or Beis Hillel. I'm sorry, Beis Shammai as Yehuda or Beis Hillel as Yosef. This attitude, instead of seeing them as two different binary forms of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I believe very deeply that it's referring to two states within the individual. That no person is truly Yosef or Yehuda. No person is truly certainty or doubt. No person is truly law or lawlessness. No person is truly joy or tzabrachenkeit. 
but rather we're composite forms of these two experiences. And it's up to us as to determine which valence takes on significance at each particular moment. And it's very clear from the writings of the Meshiloach and his children and grandchildren that the paradigm of Yehuda, this personality which is willing to enter into doubts for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is the superior spiritual paradigm. That's the paradigm that is capable of recognizing that the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu resides in the world, not only in spite of darkness, but specifically in darkness. And that mistakes are part of the game. And that being in doubt is not only a condition of living in this world, but rather it's the constitutive function of living in this world, where it's no longer clear which way is up and which way is down. And it's only when I am willing to sacrifice my own self-consciousness and willing to confront God directly without any prerequisites of schar and onesh or good and bad and willing to look at Hashem and say, where are you in this moment? How can I find you within this doubt? Those are the moments that we encounter most often in our lives where we're engaged in this world, stuck in doubt, where it's our job to forego that all too human need of certainty and be willing to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically where it's difficult, specifically where we don't know which way is up and which way is down. Now, like I said in the beginning of this year, I wanted to try and connect this idea of seeing Suffolk as not only a secondary failure of this world, but rather the opportune playing field within which we can express our volitional choice, wherein we can express our Bechira. So I want to look at a remarkable teaching from the Beis Yaakov, which I was zochet to find this Shabbos. And the Beis Yaakov is going to be in Parshas V'yishlach Os Yud Dalid. It's on the Pasuk of Vayar Yaakov Ma'od. And it continues and it says that... <clears throat> Medrash Isa. In the Medrash, it says on this Pasuk, Mikan She'ein Ba'olam From here, from the fact that Yaakov Avinu wanted to sit in peace. Yaakov Avinu wanted to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in peace, but he was terrified. Chazal tell us that here we learn that there are no certainties, no guarantees for the righteous individuals in this world. And the concept in this is as follows. That in the statements of God, Perush Mamre Hashem the expression of godliness in this world, the concept of spirituality or meaning in this world, Ein Perush Mugval, there's no limited or specific interpretation where a person can say, this is the truth of the explanation, and that there's no other explanation that can be contained. A person can never say such a thing. A person can never say, this is the only way of looking at something. There is multiple, multiple, there's always multiple ways of looking at something. A person can never look at their souls and say that this is what is going to happen with utter certainty. Because the words of God and the expressions of God in this world are alive and they're active and they're vital. And in less than a moment, kim'at rega, meaning a time that is shorter than actual time, things can change from their explanation one way to the other. That beforehand it appeared to the person as if it was certainly this way without any possibility of changing. And the next moment it's abundantly clear to the person within themselves that there's no other way of interpreting it other than some other way. And this is the root of faith. Remarkable words. This is the root of faith that a person can never say that this thing is impossible, certainly it's impossible. 
Because by God, it's not, it's not shaykh to say that. Because by God, so to speak, everything is possible. All options are possible. And you thought something was certain one moment? Yes, that certainty could have been true then and it can change into a suffix the next moment. And more than this, a person must understand deeply within their minds that it's very possible that everything that I think and everything that I conjure up in my mind and all of the truths that I've told myself according to tfisa sikhli, according to the measurements of my own mind, can change in one moment to the next. Not only that, but each person has their own way of interpreting things. And there are multiple truths to each moment. And so a person to try and relegate the word of God to certainty is in truth minimizing the capacity of God because it's specifically the power of the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that has the ability of dissimulating itself into all modes of options, into all manifoldness of doubt, that there are infinite options of ways to interpret this world, to read the world as a text. And each and every moment a person has to guard themselves to not fall prey into the idolatry of certainty into that sense that this is the way things are and I know things to be true because that's what I assume. But rather, a person must relinquish themselves and live within that doubtful state where in each and every moment I have to volitionally choose how to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. One gets the assumption very much like we see in the writings of Rabbi Nachman that for Ishbitz and Radzin, and that's not the only place of congruence that we see, but that if a person is serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in one moment, the same way they served HaKadosh Baruch Hu a previous moment, they're losing out on what it means to be a servant of God in a world of doubt. That doubt demands that each and every moment I renew my conviction to serve God in spite of the fact that I have no idea whether something is true or not. And the Beis Yaakov continues and he says, this is the difference between living in this world, the world of doubt, and the next world, which is a world of clarity. Because in the world to come, nothing is going to change. And that's also a relative concept because our tzaddikim have taught us that even then things will change as well, except in our consciousness, it's going to be different. But this worldliness, this is the world of Alma Desveka. This is the world of the world of doubt. V'ilana Desveka Shalitba. And the tree of doubt rules supreme in it. Mu'urav betov birah. Combinations of good and bad. And that a person throughout the days of their lives is always anxious and in doubt. And so to speak, God has placed a person in this world to see God as manifesting through doubt. That God, Kavyachol, is a doubtful God. Like we find so many times in Chazal and in the statements and the writings of our tzaddikim, that one thing at one moment can change to something else on the next moment. And to align this with the writings of the Arizal, the Arizal in his Eitz Chaim, the loftiest place in the writings of the Arizal is going to be something referred to as Reshad Lo Isyada, as the unknowable head, as that point of spirituality, that point of the merging between finitude and infinitude, between the unlimited and limited, where a person is no longer capable of discerning what is true and what is not true. This is the makom of the Aron. This is the place of the Aron HaKodesh, the Ark, She'enam and Amida, that has no actual measurements because it's an interface. It's the chiasmic point between nothingness and something where that liminal point contains both something and nothing, the nothing of something and the something of nothing, the Yesh of Ayin and the Ayin of Yesh. At this place of Reish Lo Isyada, the loftiest place in the series of Ishtal the highest point in the order that the Arizal is coming to describe, 
we find something incredibly remarkable. That Rav Chaim Vital, when recording the writings of his teacher, the Arizal, whose neshama should be a melitz yosher and it should protect us, the world, the Jewish people, and the world at large, and to redeem us and to allow us to rectify our own lives in the way that he taught us, to see in destruction itself, to see in constriction itself light, like the Arizal has taught us to see in Simpson, to find light within Simpson, to find building within Shvira. That the Arizal comes, and at the loftiest point, Rav Chaim Vital says, I'm mesupik as to what my Rebbe came to teach me. I don't know fully how to understand this sugya of Rashad Loisida. And Rav Chaim Vital ends and he says, There are so many more doubts that I have not been zochet to understand. There are so many more doubts that I have not been zochet to understand. And the Meforshim on the Arizal and Rav Chaim Vital question, they say, what's Pshad in saying that there's a schus to understand Sveikos? What value is there to understand doubts? And the Ramchal in Klach Pischei Chachma, the student of the Ramchal in Pesach Chavvav, and the Leshem Shavachaloma in his Drush on Sveikos Igulim Vyoshar, and Rav Menachem and the Mishklav in his parish on the Idrazuta Mayim Adirim, and Rav Kook, Shlusia Ganalenu, and Ayras HaKodesh Chilat Gimel, where he talks about the Suffolk and the Vadai, and the Suffolk HaElyon. He says that the idea here is that there's something in Suffolk that is not contained in certainty, because Suffolk allows us to serve God from a perspective of faith that transcends knowledge, that it's specifically in not knowing, in living in a darkness, in living in a confusion, that we are capable of revealing that this all too human experience of being in doubt is in truth the loftiest place within which we can serve God. Because when we abandon the need, the all too human need for certainty, it's specifically there that we come in contact with the world as it is, where we engage in Suffolk and we say, here lies HaKadosh Baruch Hu as well. By way of the way Rav Kook describes, Rav Kook says that Suffolk is Melashon Sipuk, that doubt and satisfaction have the same terminology because only when a person contemplates what it means to live in a world of doubt can they begin to understand what it means to be satisfied in the doubt itself. Next week, Bezras Hashem, what we're going to be picking up on in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin is going to be the thread of questions that once we find ourselves thrown into this world and once we recognize that the determining and constitutive factor of this worldliness is doubt, so what is the spiritual activity that a person must engage in? How is it that the spiritual quest begins? How does Avram Avinu find himself? How does Avram Avinu find God in this world? And we're going to see that it's specifically from She'ilah. It's specifically from the questioning itself that emerges out of doubt that we're going to find our deepest spiritual tradition. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.